with Olivia she is so cool and also just like the most intelligent and mature 22 year old I've ever spoken with so I'm I'm really um interested and excited to see everyone's responses to our conversation but before I dive into that there's just been a lot of my mind about like what things I want to talk about on the podcast and conversations I want to have and um, just various topics and I would really 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 love to hear all of your thoughts and suggestions as to what you want to hear me talk about whom you want to hear me speak with and just things like that so for example um, one like kind of topic I want to dive into is narcissism um, I'm not sure if anyone has recently heard of or watched The Vow or just the, the Stars documentary on the Nixium cult. Um, it's basically um, a sex cult started by someone named Keith Rainier who used the facade of a like self-help program to lure in troubled women so that they he could sexually abuse them and uh not so fun fact but I was actually recruited back in 2016 to join the school tap I mean I thank god did not go through with this quote-unquote self-help program but I was very much reached out to and it was it's a crazy story but I'm I'll address that (laughs) if and when uh, I talk about narcissism, but I think it's, you know, between Jeffrey Epstein being arrested and, you know, convicted a little bit over a year ago and then things like this. I think it's like, I don't know, narcissism, narcissism, something you like learn about or like kind of in Greek mythology, but you don't really hear about it in a psychological setting as much. So that'd be really cool to talk about. Um, Another thing I really wanted to dive into and I think it's just really important always but it's just kind of like intersectionality of mental health and race because I mean I've I know I've touched on this but not nearly enough so it's definitely a conversation I want to have more um and yeah just there those are just two of many topics I've been thinking about um and it will definitely bring people on to speak to them with more knowledge than I have because I'd love to learn. Um try to think what else. It's hmm. really all I have to add right now. I have an exciting move coming up, so I will also keep you posted with that, but I don't want to take up too much time because I'm just really pumped to be sharing this episode which was recorded a little bit ago and I um I think you all really love to hear what Olivia has to say. So without further ado, here is Olivia Lubarski.
everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to virtually be here with Olivia Lubarski, who is a former D1 collegiate gymnast and the founder of Own Your Roar. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. (laughs) So, Olivia, um, if you don't mind just starting off by telling me a little bit about yourself, where are you from? How old are you? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What's your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, My story has definitely been a journey. Um, So I am from Santa Monica, California. Um, I started doing gymnastics when I was eight years old. Um, I'm one of four girls and my youngest sister, um, Natalie, had gone on like a field trip to a preschool, um, like had a gymnastics class or something and came home, loved it. And my parents thought, well, with four girls bouncing around the walls, like let's throw them all in and see if it sticks. Um, And it, it certainly did. So I started at eight, which um, in the gymnastics world is a bit characteristically late. So immediately, like I was not the kid that was looking at the Olympics or anything. I was just, um, my immediate goal was, or my first goal was college. Um, I had grown up fortunate to go see the UCLA gymnastics competitions and really like truly fell in love and told my parents like, Oh, that's going to be me one day. Like I'm going to be a college gymnast. We called them like the older girls. I was like, I'm going to be an older girl. And, um, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so, um, that was pretty much like the path that I chose. And so, um, through middle school, um, once I was in probably sixth or seventh grade, I was training six hours a day, um, going to school for half the day, getting in the car practice was about an hour and a half away. So, um, mom and dad did a lot of drives and then training and so I kind of had a one-track mind of gymnastics 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 and um, there was kind of no stopping until I got that college spot and so um, the nature of the sport is absolutely incredible Um, like any sport or any activity it definitely has its flaws and so um, I think for me I started in high school feeling um, that striving for perfection so much was holding me back Um, but it was kind of all I had known and you know more on that nature of the sport is that gymnastics is a never ending quest for difficulty. And so like, you're just never satisfied. And I think while it's a great goal to keep pushing for that 1% better every single day, it can also come, it's, it can be very two-sided and it can come up with, come with a lot of drawbacks as well. Um, you know, once you master one flip, it's like, okay, can you do two, two in the, two in the air? Or can you do one and then another immediately after? you do that and it's like, okay, add a full twist. Like it just never stops. Um, which for me, I started struggling with depression because I felt like I was never going to be good enough. Um, I was never happy with any progress that I was making because in my mind I could always get better. Um, so progressing into high school, um, I committed to Towson university's gymnastics team a little bit into my junior year of high school. And that was an absolute dream come true. Um, And like I said, I was having these feelings of depression, but I kind of just pushed them to the side. Um, It wasn't anything that I felt was really getting in the way of my life. And I probably, looking back, should have taken a bit of a better look at that. Um, But committing to Towson was my dream come true, like I said. And so I immediately had like a countdown on my phone. And this was over, it was like over a year until I would have stepped foot on campus. But I was like counting down the days. I was so excited Towson was going to be like, the place where everything was perfect. I was going to be perfect in the classroom, perfect in the gym, um, transition to living across the country with ease, which is something that I think people undermine a lot. And that transition to college can be really tough. So 
um, I can get into kind of my battles through college athletics, um, but that's a, that's a bit of a start. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. So a lot of questions. Yes. Did, so did all, did you and your three sisters all start gymnastics and stick with it or did, were you the only one that stuck with it or what was that like? So we all started at the same time and we all stuck with it for years. Um, my three younger sisters dropped off at various points in high school. Um, but yeah, it was like, like the Lebarski lifestyle. Like it was, we used to, my parents or judges used to come up to my parents at competitions and be like, how many Lebarskis are there <laughs> be in different levels and different sessions? And my parents would be at the competition just as long as my coaches would be because they had a kid in every session. So it was definitely fun to share that. Um, with my sisters. And um, I think it's really shaped all of us into who we are today. And you mentioned that you kind of started what's, you know, in gymnastics late. And I can definitely relate. Like I was a ballerina. So it's in a similar way, you know, people are starting at like the minute they can walk. They're like, okay, let's, let's get them in. Um, Did that intimidate you at all? Like, did you ever feel like you were, you know, behind some of the other girls or did you just go in with a different mindset? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it's natural to compare yourself with the people that around are around you. Um, I always felt that, you know, I was, I was eight years old competing level four, the starting level next to girls that were like five and six. And I was like, Oh, I'm not cute enough to get the good score. Cause I'm like a little awkward and a little taller. Um, and, um, you know, gymnastics is also like, um, ballet, like dance, like a sport where you get judged on your performance. So, you know, I was not the naturally strong kid. I was not naturally flexible. I was not really very naturally talented <laughs> that like, if I wanted it, like it, my work ethic was, was going to carry me. Um, and I kind of had a bit of a growth spurt, um, into high school and I was the tallest girl on my team in college. And so for years I had, um, coaches telling me, you know, you're not tall enough to do that or you're too tall to do that skill. You're not you know, you're not strong enough because of your height or your legs are too long. I remember I started having like hip flexor pain. Um, I went to a few different like physical therapists and they all were like, oh, your legs are too long for the sport. And I was like, well, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so I'm like, well, that's not good enough. So, um, but again, you know, it had its advantages. Um, I think that, um, you know, for me, I was just so focused on, you know, let's just see how far I can go. Um, and I was progressing. I was really enjoying it. I was enjoying the challenge. Um, and my parents always told us, you know, whenever you're nervous, it's just because you care. And, um, you know, nobody, I think very early on, I learned to focus on what I could control and try to let go of everything that I couldn't. So. Yeah, definitely. It seems like you have a ton of determination, which is like so awesome. And I can see why, you know, you, got into a D a D one gymnastics program. No, it definitely, it definitely wasn't easy. And I actually, um, so I committed to Towson, I think it was like September, October of my junior year of high school. And I'm like progressing into the year and my hip starts acting up all of a sudden, like, I remember I had like caught like my major bar release, which was like a big deal as a, like a gymnast goes through gymnastics. And all of a sudden come like December into the competition season, which started in January, like I could not catch the bar to save my life. And it was like, well, you need to, like, you got to figure it out. And so I found myself really miserable in the gym. Um, and I kind of sat down with my parents one day and I was like, look, you know, my goal for so long has been to get a spot on a college team. I'm like, I did that. Like I have that spot. I'm like, maybe 
it's not really what I want. Like maybe I just wanted to prove to myself that I was good enough and capable to reach that spot. But like, Hey dad, you ran track in college. Like maybe I want to try that. Like I got the legs for it. Like, you um, you know, I was kind of maybe interested in looking at different avenues. My, um, second youngest sister, Tyler had just quit a year ago, had joined the track team at our high school. I was like, Hey, pole vault looks kind of fun. So I, you know, my parents had always told us you don't quit on a bad day. So you don't quit when you're struggling with a mental block on a fee- or for fear of a skill, or you don't f- quit halfway through competition season. So they were like, okay, like once you're like, once you're getting your routines back, everything else. And if you still want to quit then, then like, okay. So time went on and, and it just kept these like feelings kind of kept building. So I actually ended up stopping. Um, I called my college coach, um, wasn't even on campus yet. And I was like, Hey, um, it's like, I'm not really doing gymnastics anymore. And she was like, okay, like, you know, you want to walk me through this or like, what's going on? Um, and I kind of explained it to her and she had said, um, you know, we love your energy. We would love to have you still on the team, maybe as a team manager, just know like you have your spot if that's something you're still interested in. And I was like overly appreciative on the phone, but in the back of my head, I'm like, well, I'm probably not going to go all the way across the country if I'm not, you know, not for gymnastics. And so, um, I joined the track team. I was pole vaulting. I think I had gone to the doctor and I had like a boot on my ankle because I had like a stress fracture. And so like my high school track coach, like thought I was like a little much because I would just take the boot off and like do a couple pole vaults and then put it back on. They were like, do you know what rest is? And I was like, no. Um, so anyways, I, all of a sudden, like I was kind of flipping on the grass outside during track practice. And I was like, really like I need to get my butt back in the gym and so my parents were like okay like you know finish finish your this spring semester of your junior year start you know working out more getting yourself back in gymnastics shape take your time with this because it's not really you can't really go back and forth with it so I did that and I remember like finished um, my junior year of high school and like that next week I was in the gym and I was like yep this is where I need to be like I think it took time away from the sport to really realize how much I loved it Um, Mm -hmm. and then I never looked back. I called my coach and I was like, yeah, so I'm training again. Like, is it all right? (laughs) Like if I still come. And so I honestly, like, I'm so grateful for her, for, you know, keeping that opportunity, um, for me. But yeah, I mean, it seems like she's an amazing person. If she like didn't really even know you and was like, you still have a spot here. I think gymnastics is a really special, um, sport. And it's, it's interesting too, with the recruiting process. Um, I know there are stricter rules now, but, um, I had known girls who had, committed to college before their freshman year of high school. And it's like, what if the kid has a growth spurt, they grow six inches, all of a sudden they play volleyball or, you know, they stop before then. It's just like, there's so much unknown and it's kind of hard to ask like a 13 year old, Hey, where do you want to go to college? Like you don't even want to study any of that. So it's definitely interesting. Yeah, that is so wild. And like, that's the same as with lacrosse. I I know because of Hopkins, (laughs) you know, I didn't play lacrosse. Um, where you can commit before like when you're still in like middle school or something insane. And it's just like whole other topic, but kind of going back to what you said about, you know, I mean, I, as you mentioned, this is like the same with a lot of sports, but I think what makes gymnastics unique in this area is the fact that, you know, there's like a number of ways to get a soccer ball from like the midfielder to the goal and score. Whereas like with gymnastics, it's like, okay, you did that backflip, but like you can still do it better. And it's almost like you're reaching for something that's like intent that you're never going to be able to touch. Right. And I think, I mean, even just the nature of the sport, like you just touched on, 
Um, look at competition. You know, you walk out there, you start at a 10.0. That's your ideal perfection. Really, your routine, you just kind of get ripped apart with deductions to lower your score. And it's like, so that reality is like, not great for the ego. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it teaches you a lot, but it's constantly striving for that ideal. And, and I've learned that, you know, perfectionism is, should not be the goal. Um, you know, I think that's something that I'm still continuing to work with through college and through navigating my life post-college is, you know, striving for excellence and not necessarily perfection. Um, I think it's, like I said, a great goal to strive to get 1% better every single day. But if you don't stop and appreciate how far you've come and, you know, even those small goals, just taking a second to be proud of the growth, even proud of the failures. I think that's something for me that I really struggled with. Um, you know, my freshman year of college, I flew across the country. And, and like I said, like I was beyond excited. Like I had the countdown of over 365 days. It was a little much, um, but I couldn't wait to get there. And all of a sudden, you know, even the little things I'm like, Oh, like toilet paper's not in the hall closet upstairs. Like I gotta go, like, it was just all this stuff that you don't even think of when you're all the way across the country alone. Like it was a big adjustment. And, you know, I didn't want to, once I started not performing my best in the gym, I wasn't going to try and like worry my parents. You know, I had had teammates that could um, go home for a weekend that were from Jersey or Virginia or even Boston. Um, for me, like going home for a weekend wasn't going to be feasible. And so I think once I started not performing my best, and this was even just in practice, um, or I started just feeling kind of like dull. Um, I even asked my mom like how I was back my freshman year and she was like, Liv, you kind of just disappeared. Like I just kind of shut down everything. It got to the point where my fear of failure was so strong that I was not able to function. And so, you know, I would stand up on the balance beam for 45 minutes. I'd probably drive my coach up a wall because I wouldn't go for any skills. And it wasn't, you know, fear is such a big aspect of gymnastics. It wasn't because I was necessarily scared to go for it, but I was so scared that if I didn't make it perfectly, my coach wouldn't put me in the competition lineup all the way in January. And it was this mm -hmm. cycle of like, I, I'm paralyzed by this fear of failure. So. And so that freshman year of college, would you say that's the first time that you kind of battled mental health or had mental health battles or was it before then when you almost quit entirely that you first dabbled in depression? I think looking back, um, I think that I initially thought that my first struggle was that freshman year of college. And I think looking back, it had been something that was kind of slowly building for a while. It was mm -hmm. just hidden. Um, and, you know, we hear mental illness is a hidden epidemic. And I think that that is just so true on so many levels. I mean, even right now with COVID, they're calling it um, mental illness, like the parallel pandemic. Um, and suicide yeah. are, are topping COVID deaths, which is just, you know, extremely disheartening. Um, but I think that even, even into my freshman year. And th at this point, like I was, I came in, I was the happy bubbly kid. I was so excited. All of a sudden I was just like, sh not, not engaging in anything. And it got to the point where one day, um, one of the seniors on the team pulled me aside. She was basically like, Hey, Liv, you know, like you tell coach or I tell coach, but like, we need to get you back on track. Like we don't like, you know, what's going on. And I was like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, especially as a freshman, I didn't want to cause problems to the team. I didn't want anyone mm -hmm. to, I already felt like I was a burden to everyone around me that I didn't want to like bring other people into it or whatever. And so um, I called my mom and I said, you know, I think I'm depressed, but that sounds really dramatic. Like I'm sure I'm fine. 
And she was like, well, you know, like, let's talk it through. And so I kind of shared a little bit of how I was feeling. And she's like, you know, Liv, like, you might be. Like, that's, it's normal. Like, that's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. But for me, it was like, you know, you hear these phrases in the gym growing up for years, you know, whether it's no pain, no gain, or more specific to gymnastics, um, because of the big element of fear, it's like, don't think, just go for it. Like, just, just do it. And so for me, I'm like, I almost created this um, theory that, I was making up depression as an excuse to validate why I wasn't doing well. Mm -hmm. And it took me honestly months of reading like the science behind mental illness and behind depression to learn that like, it's a valid thing. Like, and it's something that happens to you. It's not something that you just can just construct as an excuse if you're not doing well. So it was, I think that that's like one of the hardest things I've had to learn. Yeah. I also think, I mean, you're, or like so far we've just spoken to your experience like on the team or just like as a gymnast. But if you add, you know, add to that the fact that you're also a freshman in college, you have all these responsibilities for academically, you just moved across the country living alone for the first time. Like it's, and I think, I mean, I have this theory that I mean, I use it to justify a lot of things, but you know, when you're at, when you're on top of the world and all of a sudden things don't go your way, it's like there's such a dramatic juxtaposition of those two feelings that it's like it feels like you just went crashing down. So, yeah, I can't even imagine. Like, I mean, I cried all the time in college, and I just didn't. I didn't do a single sport. Same. So, you know, <laughs> they ask so much from eighteen-year-olds. It's insane. Well, and I think you know, college athletics is a phenomenal opportunity, and by no means, like I am beyond grateful for everything that I experienced—the good and the bad. But I think, in a sense, we really do, like as a society, over glamorize it. Um, you know, and and yes, some student athletes receive scholarships essentially it's their job you know if they don't meet the requirements that they're expected to as an athlete you know maybe they're not able to afford their education any any other way for me i was a i was a recruited walk-on so i wasn't um like being paid by the school to come perform for them um but it's like you have that job as a student athlete to show up to every 6 a.m lift or to be in the training room for me so we had practiced from um my freshman year we had practiced from 7 a.m to 11 a.m so that meant you were in the training room at 6.15, um, you know, heating your ankles or whatever you needed to do to get your body ready for practice. You're in the gym for four hours. Right after you go back to the training room, it's ice bath or, you know, a few times a week, practice would be cut short an hour and then you'd go to lift and then ice bath. And it's like, you know, I was like racing home to get to my like 12.30 class. I had classes until about like 5, 6.15 or something. And then it's like, have I even showered? Like, have I eaten today? Like, it's all this stuff that, um, you know, you don't even really have time to think about and everything is just so fast. And so when I was struggling with my um, mental illness, with depression, um, my coach had made it a requirement to see a therapist to stay on the team, which I like totally understood. Um, but what happened was I went to the counseling center at Towson and, um, you know, like any school, they welcome student athletes just as they would any other student. Um, the person that I saw didn't have a background in like athletics or just kind of didn't understand my mindset, I guess. And so um, immediately like referred me off campus, which like totally happens. Like not every therapist is gonna be a perfect match. But for me, it was like, okay, well now I'm across the country. I don't have a car. I have to find a place that fits my insurance. I have to find a place that's 
open past typical business hours because I'm not even done with class until 6.15. And yeah. it became so much of a stressor that by the time I finally met someone that fit my schedule, I didn't even care if I connected with them. And so it was, it, I feel like I wasn't able to really benefit as much as I could have because, you know, we don't have enough resources, like the demand for mental health resources, especially in athletics is really, really high. Um, and I remember the first therapist that I had seen, um, you know, one of her recommendations was like, well, would you ever quit? Would you ever stop? And to me, I was like, oh my gosh, no way. Like there's, there's no way I can't like, this has been my world since I was eight years old. This is the reason I even considered coming to Maryland. Like, and, and I love Maryland now, like I love Baltimore, <laughs> but that was my mindset initially. And it was like, that if I stopped gymnastics at that time too, I would have taken away all the structure that I had in my life. And I think I would have felt even more lost. And she was like, you know, well, it's not making you happy. I was like, oh my gosh, you are totally right. I'm like, but nothing <laughs> is. So like, I feel like I got to start somewhere else a little smaller. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's really true. I mean, that's what I think one thing that's been granted like a silver lining of COVID is that, I mean, I'm already, uh, the podcast is already sponsored by BetterHelp, but what's so great about that is like, you know, virtual counseling, you can just be in your bed, like in pajamas, pull up your computer and speak with a telehealth person. So, and now since everything's um, remote, it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're you're paying a significantly less amount, more coverage from, um, like in New York, nothing is covered by insurance. So um, I can't even imagine being like, you know, told at 18, like, okay, now go find this. Like, yeah, well, I was like getting in my Uber. I'm like, well, I hope I make, <laughs> like, I, I have no idea where I'm going. Like I didn't really know the area. Um, and I, I also, I tried, um, antidepressants, um, for a few, I think almost two years. Um, I was on a few different ones just because for me, like my body, like I was just getting crazy nausea, like all the time. Like I had a really hard time adjusting or, you know, I felt like I wasn't feeling anything on it. And I kind of, you know, I wanted to feel something. I didn't want to feel the kind of overwhelming sadness that I had been feeling, but I wanted to feel, you know, the ups and downs, the nor- the normal, um, yeah. which we don't even know, you know, what is normal, but <laughs> it's another conversation. Um, so that was tough. And I think also something that was hard for me was like, I always looked at the antidepressants as like, oh, well, this is only going to be temporary. And I like never really let them in, I think, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and I had one of um, my older uh, teammates reach out to me. She's like, yeah, how are you doing? Whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm on them, but like, I'll get off them soon. And she kind of was like, you know, Liv, what's your rush? I was like, oh, I just don't think I need them. Like, I think I'm fine. Like, I try to figure this out. And she's like, you know, I want you to think about it. Like, she's like, look, we take Advil. We pop Advil like it's candy every day, like to just she's like, we don't expect it to never feel physical pain. You know, I don't, she's like, I don't expect my back pain to just go away. She's like, I just take it to take the edge off, you know, think of your antidepressants as the same way. And that kind of really shifted my thinking. And I think I was able to embrace the help a little bit more. Um, but again, there's just such a stigma across the board to, you know, I think now like it's okay to people, you know, it's, it's okay to not be okay. But I think for me, I was under the impression that like, once I got through this, whatever battle I was dealing with, I would never feel depressed again. And, you know, and then going through, continuing to go through ups and downs. And, you know, because of my experiences, I've learned what coping mechanisms work for me and what don't and everything else. But it's, you know, depression's something that's going to stick with me. 
for my entire life, most likely. And, and I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, we just have to not treat it as such a big deal. Um, I think part of the reason I was so in denial of accepting like, you know, maybe I am depressed is because I think that we look at it with qualifications, you know, at the time, um, I wasn't having suicidal thoughts. So I didn't feel like I qualified to say I had depression or, you know, I feel like people are like, well, I don't have anxiety unless they're having these big anxiety attacks once a week or whatever. And it's like, no, you know, just as an athlete would go to their trainer, if they roll their ankle, why can't we have that standard of going to your trainer and being like, Hey, my head's not really in it today. Or I'm just so overwhelmed. This is going on in the classroom or socially, whatever. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And I think, I, it's funny, I had like a very similar experience with um, like the, when I first started going to therapy and first started going on medication where I thought it'd be kind of like a quick fix. I was actually bribed to go to um, therapy by my parents, which is the best bribe they ever did for me, um, like in all seriousness. But I remember like kind of like wanting to get on a certain medication because like I didn't even – I didn't want to like associate myself with an SSRI, which is like so dumb in hindsight, but no, it's so real. Like it's so, it's so real. You're like, okay. And I was like, oh, this one has like the least side effects. Like there's no like worries. I'll get fat or something, which again is like says something whole, whole, the whole other conversation, <laughs> but oh, I trust me skin tight leotards. Yeah. The body image is a big one. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, okay, maybe that should have been a warning sign for the psychiatrist, but you know, and then, I like that was like oh I don't really feel different but whatever I'm fine and then and then you know fast forward only I want to say I guess I've been on my meds for now like a little bit over a year and it really took a doctor like showing me the science behind it like maybe it's you know the Hopkins and me or whatever I needed to like see the neurons like written out because you're like she, and she said exactly the same thing she's like okay if you if you have a headache you're taking an advil like this literally has less side effects than ad i think all of these different things and one of them certainly being birth control and she's like if you know if you're th- there's nothing looked like that's not looked badly in, by anyone but why is like a zoloft or uh a little mcdull or or uh whatever i think alongside the lines of you know looking for that quick fix to you know your struggles um i i mean as a dancer like for me as a gymnast as any athlete like anytime you get injured you know like you know okay perfect example when i tore my achilles so progressing through my freshman year um i was not competitive you're not really going to put an unstable girl up on a balance beam, um, which was totally understandable. Um, and I think my coach also wanted to take the pressure off if I had any mindset that, you know, I had to be in competing. And so she was like, mm-hmm. you're out this year. Like, it's all good. We're going to focus on the basics. I want you to find your joy for the sport, everything else, um, which was great. But then into competition season, standing up next to girls on the sideline who had like these glaring physical injuries, whether it was a knee brace or whatever, I in, was in my head saying, oh, you know, get over yourself, you're being dramatic, get back on the floor. And so it was It was definitely a hard reality. Um, but overcoming that and progressing into my sophomore year, um, I had learned to use my sport as my outlet. And I think one of the coolest things about gymnastics is like, you know, when you're playing soccer or when you're swimming, you probably 
can think a little bit of, you know, if you're like distance swimming, I have so much respect for swimmers. I'm awful in the pool. Um, But, (laughs) um, you know, they can think about maybe their schoolwork or their relationship or anything like that. When I'm doing gymnastics, like if I'm not telling myself my keywords, like to keep my hips square and keep my arms straight or whatever, like I could really hurt myself. So gymnastics Mm -hmm. really became my total escape, which was awesome. And so, um, though actually it was like the last practice before, um, I was supposed to compete for the first time in my college career and I tore my Achilles tumbling and it was probably the most devastating thing like at the time. Um, and one of the first things I noticed was like, you know, immediately when it happened, trainer came over, teammates came over, coaches came over. Everyone was like, Liv, you're going to be okay. All this stuff. Like everyone seemed to know right away, like, oh, this process is going to be like awful and painful and, and a real big struggle. Like, you know, a torn Achilles is an injury that knocks on your butt for about a year. Um, and so, but right away I had this concrete step-by-step plan. I had, okay, you're going to have surgery and then you're going to be in a boot for this long or crutches for this long. And then you're going to see this physical therapist twice a week. Then you're going to see your trainer four times a week, all this, like, but everything was programmed. And I was like, why, why don't we have the same thing for our mental health? Um, you know, and, and going back to that idea of that quick fix, you know, my, my recovery was about a year long, but looking back, I'm like, you know, I knew from the moment I got hurt that there was going to be a time when I wasn't hurt again. And then yeah. I could train again. And then I could tumble again and do that. that same tumble again. Right. When I was depressed, you know, it was like, am I ever going to feel happy and continue to feel happy? You know, and nobody, while I had teammates that were very much supportive in there, there was so much unknown. And I think Mm -hmm. even now people are like, you know, I want that person to know that I'm there for them, but mental health is so complex that it's like, you know, it's a little scary and you don't want to say the wrong thing or anything else, but because there's so much unknown, um, I think we just immediately jump to being like, Oh, six weeks, I'll be good. Like, and it's not like that, you know, we have ups and downs in our lives all the time that whether you're clinically depressed or not, like, you know, you can go through a bad breakup and be situationally depressed. Like it's just, it's just another feeling. So. Exactly. And on a similar note, like I imagine as a coach, you're trained for like what happens when your, you know, student or your, I don't even know what you call your student. I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gymnast. Um, Your gymnast like hurts, uh, like tears their Achilles or, you know, breaks their arm. But I bet there's significantly less training on like, okay, what happens if Well, there were, there were times where like I had an anxiety attack in the gym a few times and it was really just like, okay, well like, you know, get out of the gym. Like, don't bring this onto the girls around you. And it's like, well, yeah, but like, I also feel bad that this is happening. And then like, yes, I don't want to distract from the girls that are training, but it's also like, I, I'm all over the place. I'm already feeling like a burden to everyone around me. Like, it's just, it's so complex. And like you said, like coaches, I think are taught that physical injury first aid, um, but they're not so well versed on that mental health first aid. So yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Okay. So you mentioned like, okay, you tore your Achilles and then you were kind of on the bench for lack of a better phrase for a little bit. Um, Is that when the idea for Own Your Roar came up or like how did that? um, Yeah, so I think through my experiences with mental health um, and mental illness, I 
had a big passion for mental health advocacy. Um, and so after I kind of overcame my major battles my freshman year, um, I got back to campus uh, in the fall for my sophomore year and I joined Active Minds on campus. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think for me, um, personally, I thought that it was a bit of a passive group and I was really excited to kind of jump in, get involved and further it a little bit more. Um, I thought that you know, we could bring athletics into it and everything else. Like I was super excited. So that was kind of something that was sitting in the back of my mind. Um, of course I was new and um, I was just kind of going to meetings, learning more about it, everything else, um, seeing kind of where I could fit in. And then when I got hurt pretty much immediately, um, I think it was something that was in the back of my mind of like, you know, as athletes, mental health is just not addressed like at all. Mm -hmm. And there's such a demand specifically with athletics and athletes that, you know, maybe requires a different um, level of resources. And so that was kind of in the back of my head. And again, like my freshman year, like I didn't really talk to many people. Um, And so I was like a little nervous to bring like my ideas forward. Um, And so once I got hurt, um, it was actually kind of funny. The I had surgery like a few days later um, and my mom had flown out, which was awesome. And she had like gone to pick up dinner or something and she came home and I was on the phone and like the Achilles repair is like a pretty heavy duty surgery. So as you can imagine, I was on some pretty heavy anesthesia (laughs) um, and (laughs) some painkillers. So I was definitely a little bit loopy. And so she's like, Liv, like, who are you talking to? Um, And I had actually called um, the woman who had started Damn Worth It at Oregon State um she was a former gymnast as well and so I was kind of picking her brain I had just heard of the program I was like oh my gosh like I've been wanting to do the same thing at Towson so then I called like one of our administrators and my mom was like Olivia put the phone down like you're high (laughs) but I was just so excited and so passionate of like we need to do this and we need to do it now like so many I know this is affecting so many people Mm -hmm. so um I was invited by like our administrator or athletic administrator to present at the next SAC meeting. So every um, university has a student athlete advisory committee um, as part of like the NCAA. And so I went in there and again, like didn't know a single person. Like there were like two girls on the gymnastics team. I was like hiding behind them. But I went, I had my little speech, my little presentation. I was so excited. And immediately afterwards, like I just had this huge sigh of relief accompanied with this like excitement because all of the energy in the room, everyone was like, you know, I've struggled or my sister struggled or my teammate struggled or, oh my gosh, I can really relate to what you're saying. Like everyone in that room, no matter what sport, no matter what age, no matter what gender was like, no, you got a point. Like this is important. And so that kind of launched on your roar. Um, and initially it was just, um, established as like an awareness campaign. Um, I'm also the type of person that like, I, once something is like doing well, I'm like, great, how can we make it better? And so I started trying to work to bring in some speakers. um, And actually, I'm not sure if you've heard of the group, we're all a little crazy. I haven't, but now I'm interested. (laughs) Yeah, no, super cool. So um, uh, this guy, Eric, he's a former like business sports executive. And he launched, um, it's like the hashtag is same here. um, And it's called we're all a little crazy. And so he had launched the, these like campus tours where he would bring in, he has got all these incredible connections um, with like influencers as athletes, musicians, really everywhere, everything you could think of. And so he launched these campus mental health tours. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So I applied on behalf of Towson and I was like, yeah, like we're not really a big school. We might not get it, but we'll see. Um, 
and we were selected as one of the 15. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is huge. Like we're not only bringing, um, I guess on the lineup for this event, um, it was the CEO, Eric, it was Darren Ravel, um, Hayden Hurst, an NFL player. Um, there was a women's NBA player, Imani. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I kind of went to our athletic director and I was like, hey, like I got these people to come. They're going to come for free. Like um, we just kind of got to set the arena, everything else. Like the school was very much ready to do it. And I took it a step further and I asked the athletic department, I'm like, hey, we normally have these diversity speakers or presentations like once a semester that all athletes are required to go to. Can we make this for the one for, you know, the fall? And they were like, oh my gosh, absolutely. So I was super excited. And about a week before the event, um, there was like a conference call just to go over logistics. And I think I was kind of just included like as a courtesy, um, cause like, what did I know about like our athletics arena or anything like that? Um, or the logistics that go into planning an event with that many people. Um, and at the end of the, towards the end of the call, again, I was in all honesty, probably tuning, tuning some of it out. Cause I was like working on homework or something. Um, Eric goes, oh, by the way, we always like to open it up to ask, um, you know, someone maybe from your counseling center or a faculty, or in this case, like maybe one of your coaches to join our panel. And one of um, the administrators uh, on our end on athletics said, oh, I bet Liv would love to do it. And I was like, I was like, oh, my name, like, I was like, okay. And I was like, oh yeah, sounds great. And I had like no idea what I was signing up for. Yeah. So then I don't hear anything and I'm like, oh, it was just a courtesy, like to make me feel included, which like I appreciated. And so I, I text Eric like two days before the event. I'm like, Hey, like, am I in this? And he writes back. He's like, yeah, no, of course. Like you're, we're all set with you. And I was like, okay, like, um, can you just give me like a few questions you're planning to ask just so I can like be prepared? Because like I've shared my story. My teammates obviously know my family knows the few athletes that were in that SAC meeting know, other than that, like, I'm kind of like, I, I've never shared my story. And yeah. um, so he's like, oh, nothing you haven't asked, like been asked before. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, like, that's so not my question. Like that was yeah. not what I needed here at all. And what I wrote back was, all right, sounds great. <laughs> and so um, that was probably one of the most terrifying and one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. Like I stood up there and I shared my story to the entire athletic department, which was like my entire world at that point. Um, and immediately like you could, like, it sounds cheesy, but like you could really feel the energy in the room at the end of the night after the event was over. And it was unparalleled. Um, you know, there were people that stayed back, you know, to take pictures of like the NFL star and everything else. And I had a few athletes approach me, which was really touching. Um, I actually had um, a fellow athlete reached out to me like eight months after the event. And he was like, Hey, like, I, you know, just wanted to let you know, like, after hearing your story, I started writing mine. It's like, I've been writing on and off for, you know, the last however many months. He's like, anyways, I sat down last weekend and I finished it. Like, I'm going to be publishing it on this blog site. I just wanted you to know. And I was like, so beyond touched. And so, you know, I really think that just goes to show how these conversations really do break barriers. And so I had an athlete approach me literally in, in our arena, pulled me to the side and kind of broke down in tears. Basically just said, you know, I don't think I'm okay. Like I've tried the counseling center. I, I don't know what to do anymore. Like I'm scared to tell my parents, blah, blah, blah. But like hearing your words and hearing what everyone else was saying tonight, like I think I need help. And that kind of broke me because I was like, great, you know, we've managed to create this space at Towson where people feel comfortable expressing themselves. 
and people are okay starting to talk about mental illness and the stigma around it, but we need more resources. So that kind of propelled me to try and create like a program out of Own Your Roar. So um, actually the fall of my senior year, um, we launched a mentorship program. We like added some curriculum to guide it. Um, and we had about 80 of our 500 student athletes participate. So just wow. like 20%. And we had um, like four representatives from each team, which was huge. So um, that was a phenomenal experience. Um, and I really learned a lot as well. Um, now it's Own Your Roar is kind of being continued through Towson Athletics. Um, and I'm more serving as like an advisor, but it's just, it's awesome. And I think especially because of COVID, like the demand and the interest by student athletes for this group has just increased tremendously. And I think one of the benefits that kind of sets on your roar apart from other um, like mental health programs that have been implemented at schools is that, you know, most of the drive has been by student athletes and for student athletes. You know, I think it's so it's there's such a difference in how we receive information from our coaches, from our trainers, from our professors, that it's just like when it's this innate, you know, unified community, that's mm -hmm. like, hey, like, we're gonna get through this together. And it's just a little bit easier to talk about it. Um, you know, it can really, really work wonders. Definitely when it's your peers who've been through something similar. And like, I mean, there I feel like I, mean, I was not a student athlete, non athlete. But there's just, there's so many common themes, whether it's like, you know, the sport is your identity. And when you stop the sport, then what? Or like, if you're injured and you're not allowed to do your sport anymore, I feel like there's just so many different avenues. Like I've, I had um, my friend Anna Selmanovich on this podcast and she received like the, um, I forget what the award is, but it was by the Jed Foundation. Like, um, Oh yeah. No, I know exactly what that is. Yeah. And it's, and like, I think there's just, it's really amazing seeing people like you, you know, spearhead the like the way for future athletes basically and say like you're not gonna have to feel like this you know and yeah. well really I think change. to be honest it's 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 um I'm obviously very honored like <laughs> to hear that from you but um you know I remember we had our like uh we called it golden paws our like Towson Tigers athletics like award ceremony at the end of the year and I won like the community service award and it like when I tell you, I literally had no idea why, like I, I didn't think that like, I was like, why are people thanking me for this? Like, I didn't look at it like that. I was just like, this is, you know, this is just something that's real. Like yeah, this necessary. is something necessary. that should have been done. Like everyone's on the same page. I'm like, the only reason I've been successful is because of everyone, you know, believing in it as well. And so it's just really cool. I think the community that's built, I, um, even now, like I'll hear from, student athletes all over the country at various schools. I've talked to student athletes at, you know, anywhere from UCLA to Hawaii to Rutgers and who are just like, hey, I want to do something similar. What are barriers that you had to work through um, to make this happen? Or, you know, what are some things you've learned? And it's really exciting kind of seeing that um, continue to grow. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a journey. But I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, looking at those common themes like you touched on, especially now with COVID, like, you know, as a, as a senior student athlete, my, like, I guess, physical experience at college, like got cut short. Mm -hmm. My competition season, our season got canceled that like two days before our big, like senior night competition. Oh, and it was like, oh my gosh, like that was supposed to be the big culmination of, you know, my college career, but also my gymnastics career. Like there's not really professional gymnastics. And at first, like, you know, me and my fellow teammates, 
we're like absolutely devastated. We're, we've worked so hard for this moment. This was our like one celebration. And then it's like, well, let's take a step back. Like, did we show up to every 6 a.m. lift? Were we at every single practice? Did we, you know, put all of our efforts into that conditioning assignment? You showed up every single day for four years and for your, you know, career before that. And so it's celebrating all of those moments. And does one, you know, does one night really capture that? No. So, yeah, but it, you know, it, it was a hard, it was a hard reality to kind of face. Um, more and more even than that, you know, because especially there's no professional gymnastics. Like I always knew after college, like my career would be over. And even when it ended the way that it did, you know, I think that um, because our season typically goes to like the first week of April, I was like, okay, well I'll have the rest of April and a little bit of May to like enjoy my college time and like figure it out, look towards getting a job, look at different grad school programs, whatever. All of a sudden I was like, all right, well, that's canceled. Like, I got to pack up all my stuff, like, ship my car and, like, fly back across the country. I'm like, I guess I'm going home. Like, I at that point, I hadn't really decided, like, you know, do I want to stay in Maryland? Do I want to move to D.C.? Do I want to go back to California? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. So I was like, well, I guess we're going back for now. <laughs> um, and then it was, like, for me, I was sometimes finding myself, like, in bed till 3 o'clock, like, I'm like, man, you don't live, like, get up and shower, like, go do something. But it was like, I, all of a sudden, every little element of my life was so structured. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, it was so, it was things that I was so unaware of, you know, at a certain point, I always made sure like, all right, shut the computer down, like stop studying, go to bed because you got to get through practice tomorrow. You got to have, you know, enough rest to stay awake during class or, hey, like, I know that I need to pack food ahead of time because I'm not going to be able to go home and I need to eat to fuel myself for practice. Like, all those things that we do, you know, in our day-to-day -day routine really sometimes go unnoticed, but they're so ingrained in our structure that all of a sudden when that's gone, it's just like, oh my God, this is the first time in my life I don't have someone telling me what to do. Yeah. Like, wow. yeah, I got to tune into my, like, Zoom class. But other than that, like, I can stay up till 4am if I want, like on Netflix or whatever. And so I think that's been a big um, learning experience for me, especially, um, you know, especially navigating, trying to find a job during all of this um, and everything else. But yeah, and I'm sure there's like so many people who can relate, you know, like it's like my sister was a, um, I don't even know, I like a, a COVID senior <laughs> like, um, and it's really like you're just like, oh, your college experience, like let's just throw a wrench in it because. And no, I, I wrote an article things. for um, like Mental Health America about it was like to the class of 2020, like, you know, the the season ending like we didn't expect. And it was. I I even like I bawled my eyes out writing it and it was just like it was so heavy to unpack because I was like like, you know, COVID has presented so many challenges on so many levels. And, um, you know, me losing my senior night was not the the worst of it all at, by any means. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the reality of like, it, it put a halt in so many student athletes lives. Um, and even now, like, uh, my sister's a freshman at Northeastern University in Boston. And, you know, she was having a bit of a hard time adjusting and everything. And she said, she was like, look, you know, I didn't have prom, I didn't have graduation. And, you know, I was okay with that. But, I kind of thought by now, like I yeah. have my college experience. And the, the reality is, it's like, you know, even if we were told, Hey, January 1st, 2022, everything's going to be good. 
then like at least we would have something to look forward to. I think yeah, the unknown uncertainty is the worst. Mm-hmm, it's like the combination of the unknown and the uncertainties, as well as this like societal pressure to like come out of quarantine with like a new skill or a new body or you know you're just have you're supposed to undergo these like crazy transformations and like for me I've been like hey I got up and like I took the dog around the block like today like that's a win because it was so hard to kind of get started so I guess what advice would you give to someone let's say like a sophomore junior in college athlete whose season may have gotten canceled or and and you know and they have this now uncertainty about like well is it is next season am I gonna have my senior year like what advice would you give to that person I think um you know and I think I touched on it earlier that I have learned it I think I'm still learning this lesson um but really you know focusing on what you can control and trying as much as you can to let go of the things that you cannot um you know right now Um, for me, while I was an athlete, like my sport was my outlet. So if that means, you know, you're setting up a little workout in your backyard and that's all you can do, like do that. And then, you know, try to be proud of yourself for doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's so many people that it's, this is just being, this is affecting people in so many different ways. Um, you know, I think for me, it kind of made me appreciate my sport as a gift a little bit more. Um, you know what I mean? And being grateful for that. And I mean, at the end of the day, I'm so excited for you know sports to get back up and going and seeing some more perfect tens and everything else. Um, but again, I think, you know, our lives as student athletes and, and as athletes growing up have prepared us for this time. You know, we've learned um, to overcome adversity through battling injuries or mental blocks or anything else. You know, you've been through the discipline, especially if you've made it to um, a spot on a college team like that's a huge accomplishment. And so you've learned to fall, like to get back up after you fall, you've learned that resilience, that work ethic, you know, these are the opportunities where we can kind of put those life lessons to use. Yeah. Wow. That was so beautifully said. And it's really true. It's like, it's, it's like applying all of the, you know, setbacks, as you said, or like quote unquote failures. Like sometimes if you know, if your team doesn't win, they might lose. So and like, it certainly wasn't my experience. And I don't know any athlete whose it was, but like, have we ever met an athlete who has won, like from the moment they began to their time in college? You know what I mean? Like we've all undergone these like ups and downs. And, and I think it's really prepared us to where we are and what we're going to right now with that uncertainty and everything else. So I love that. Hi guys, really quick interruption to talk about two of my amazing sponsors. The first is BetterHelp. I know I talk about them every single week, but I will never fail to plug them because my current counselor there has absolutely changed my life. I don't know really what I would do be doing without her right now. And so I cannot say enough good things about the service. Um, it's large online counseling service. It's all like online teletherapy, but I mean... Pretty much everyone is doing virtual therapy right now. If you're like, I don't know, unless your parent or something is a therapist, like it's the norm. So you're paying significantly less specifically if you're in um, like the New York City area. I highly recommend BetterHelp because I know searching for therapists can be very overwhelming, specifically when um, there's just so little coverage by insurance and the out-of-pocket pay is 
you know, upwards of 200 bucks per session, which is insane, but that's, you know, life, I guess. Um, but PetterHelp is so affordable and they match you with a licensed professional who is so specific to your needs. My counselor is incredible. She's taught me so much about myself, which I thought I was like already self-aware until working with her. And she's just like opened my eyes to so many things and just amazing. So again, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop talking about myself and just tell you how to get 10% off your first month. Just go to trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe. I promise you will not regret it. You can literally get a free week. I know that's kind of hard because, you know, you get like one session pretty much, but even just giving it a shot for a month, like I can, I can guarantee that you will not regret it. So again, trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe, that's Z-O-E for 10% off your first month. And then the second sponsor I just want to really quickly mention is Sakara because they have been doing amazing things for my um, like eating habits and specifically now when like I know it's like I don't know like the last thing I want to be like is oh eat healthy because you know the holidays are coming up because I totally don't preach that but what I love about Sakara is like all the foods or meals are really nutritious and I am specifically like trying to avoid food shopping for as long as possible both because I can't stand waiting out in a Trader Joe's line for three hours in the cold and also because I know like I'll be, you know, getting my meals cooked for me in the holidays. So Sakara is just a great alternative because every meal is super nutritious, super delicious, and delivered right to your door. So if you want 20% off your first order, go to Sakara.com and use code XOZOE at checkout. That's code XOZOE. That's again 20% off your first order. And yeah, there's, I mean, in addition to the meal plans, there's also like the metabolism superpower, which is just like so great in um, almond milk. Particularly recommend that. And just like lots of, I use their probiotics, like things like that. So again, cigar.com, use code XOZOE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Okay, but without further ado, I'm going to go back to the episode with Olivia. Hope you're enjoying it. So I always wrap up with a couple of questions. Um, and the first question I'm going to ask you is, what do you love most about yourself? Oh my gosh, I love, wow. I don't know if I've ever been asked that. Um, think of like a billion things. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, you're so sweet. I think, I think I'm really proud of um, my drive and... Um, I think I try to live my life with purpose, um, and really use intent in anything that I kind of go for. Um, what do I love about myself? I think I'm really, I kind of just try to look at life through a lens of gratitude and I'm grateful for all the experiences that I've had. Um, you know, I certainly, if you asked me this four years ago, I would not have this answer, but I love that. I've been challenged um, mentally, emotionally, physically, um, and then it's brought me to the place that I am. So yeah, you are like the most mature, what twenty-two year old? I just turned twenty-two. Yeah. Oh wait, when's your birthday? <laughs> or August? I guess it's already October. Yeah. August what? Sixth. Okay, you're Leo. I was like, I thought you were going to be a Virgo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into astrology, because um, I'm a Virgo. Okay. <laughs> 
And next question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? And city can be whatever you define it as. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think maybe it kind of goes along with my last answer. Like I, I think anytime I have a conversation with someone or anything, like I try to understand their perspective and everything. And so I think I find a lot of, um, I guess purpose and, and, um, I think it's really cool when you understand someone else's purpose and someone else's drive and what make, you know, what sets their soul on fire and everything else. And I think, um, that probably really contributes to my sanity. <laughs> um, and again, I think I just, it's, it's something that my mom has told me for years growing up, like try to look at life with the lens of gratitude. And it's something that like, I would be like, Oh my God, mom, I get it. But it really, I think has really changed my life. Mother's always right. <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, I should have learned that a lot a longer ago. But they are yeah. they, parents yeah. do have some good things to say. It it surprises me. I know, me. me too. I'm like, oh, don't want to admit it, but this is going to be live. So, there you go, mom. <laughs> well, Olivia, thank you so much for just being so eloquent and sharing your story, and just really being an inspiration for students and like graduates. I mean, I'm two over two years out of college and I feel like I've learned so much from you thank you so much it's been a pleasure being on and, and learning from you as oh, well thank you where can all my listeners follow you keep up with your like the amazing work you're doing um follow own your roar just plug everything. yeah plug everything. um so own your roar like I said is being continued through Towson right now um and you can find us on our social media I believe it's just like at own your roar um my social media is just at Olivia Lavarsky. Um, and, um, really, I mean, any listeners like feel free to email me, um, just at Olivia M Lubarski at gmail.com. Um, and I'm currently working for the John W. Brick Mental Health Foundation. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Which is an amazing foundation. It's something that, um, you know, especially as an athlete, I really appreciate their mission and what drives them. Um, they're all about, how like healthy lifestyle choices like exercise, nutrition, and mind-body practices really benefit mental health. Um, and for me, you know, as an athlete, finding so much comfort in my sport um, and having that kind of propel and help my mental health issues, um, it's a foundation that I am very fortunate to be working with. So if anybody has questions about that as well, um, feel free to reach out. Definitely. Well, thanks again, Olivia, and bye, everyone. Thank you.